0: Hi everybody, welcome back to Open Range on the River. The last episode, we talked about the BLM's management of the Sprinka over the last three decades and why cows have been allowed to continue grazing in the preserve for all of that time. This episode is going to bring us back into the contemporary issues surrounding grazing in the sprinka. continued allowance of grazing in the area hasn't been popular outside of the local ranching community. In 2019, the BLM released its latest resource management plan for the Sprinka. The plan said that there would be no changes to the grazing in the preserve and a lot of people weren't happy with this decision. As a result, some of them decided to take the BLM to court. Over the past five years, a lot of legal actions have been taken over the BLM's management of the Sprinka and its controversial decision to continue grazing in the preserve as part of the 2019 Resource Management Plan. These years have been filled with lawsuits, settlements, formal protests, public comments, and negotiations. Even as I record this podcast, the Center for Biological Diversity is in negotiations with the BLM over one of these legal settlements, and two more lawsuits are likely to become part of the story before the month is over. It really is a lot of legal documents and a lot going on. In this episode, I'll break down all of the current legal disputes going on over the management of the Sprinka, and talk a little bit about the 2019 Resource Management Plan, or RMP. In the summer of 2018, the BLM released its proposed Resource Management Plan for public comment. So, basically before finalizing the law, they provided the public with a 90-day period to comment on their proposal and held public meetings where the proposed plan could be discussed with agency officials. Imagine if you wrote a paper and had to submit it to the public for comments, received hundreds if not thousands of comments with feedback, and then had to at the very least explain how that feedback played into your final decision. That's what the BLM was doing when they released their proposed RMP in 2018. The proposed RMP included four different options for the future management of the Sprinka they were alternatives A, B, C, and D. Really great names, I know. Alternative A was a continuation of the existing management regime, where grazing could continue on the four existing allotments. Alternative B increased land usage throughout the preserve and opened up the entire area to grazing. Alternative C opened the sprinca up to more grazing. It increased the current grazing from only about 6,000 acres to roughly 20,000 something acres. It was a 300% increase. This was the BLM's preferred alternative. And then alternative D was to exclude grazing from all areas in the NCA. These were the four alternatives that the BLM put out for public comments and held public meetings to explain. The public meetings were well attended and often got pretty contentious. At one point, Scott Feldhausen, the BLM's current Gila district director, told one of the groups gathered, I'm not going to make everybody happy. I'm not sure if I'm going to make anybody happy, but that's just part of the job. Jeff Burgess, an advocate for Arizona's public lands, told me that this resource management planning process was when a lot of the documents started coming out that showed just how much grazing had been occurring in the preserve over the last three decades. While some people had tried to protest the grazing during the 30 year period, Jeff and many other local conservation advocates felt like the 2018 public commenting process is when people really started to realize what was going on and really started to get upset about grazing in the Sprinca. Here's Trisa Giraudet, a local conservation advocate and past president of the Wachuca Audubon Society, speaking about the 2018 public commenting process. She thinks that in reality, the BLM has achieved alternative B with grazing throughout the entire Sprinka due to inaction
1: that's what got um, the most attention whether from groups or certainly locally because people attended meetings. There had been um, objections prior to that when the BLM renewed those state land leases without doing analysis. Then... Um, I think the time frame was that the next renewal of those four leases kind of coincided with the resource management plan. And so again, I believe the same concerns and objections were raised that those leases weren't supposed to have been renewed. To begin with, and then <laughs> here the BLM was doing it again.
0: At the end of the public commenting process, the BLM received 530 comment letters and 1,000 unique comments. Many of these public comments urged them not to continue with grazing in the Sprinka. They included a comment from Dean Bibles condemning the BLM's management of the conservation area, and a letter signed by 21 scientists urging the BLM to prohibit livestock grazing in the Sprinca. Part of the letter read, we wish to apprise you of what we, as scientists with experience and knowledge of the San Pedro River ecosystem, believe is at stake in the Bureau of Land Management's planning process. If livestock grazing in the Sprinka is reauthorized, not only will many aquatic and riparian species and ecosystem functions be jeopardized, but the critically important role of this conservation area as an ecological reference site will be lost. Here's Elizabeth Makings, the collections manager at ASU's Herbarium, and one of the signatories to the letter on why the group chose to write to the BLM. Well, they were redoing their
2: resource management plan, which they're required to do every 10 years, and so they put things out for public comment, you know? Yeah. So um, that was my motivation, anyway. I I wrote my own personal letter, and then I contributed to a scientific you know, sort of letter writing campaign.
0: Yeah. Okay. And so it's just
2: it's just to, you know, it's to be on the record and it's to to maybe point out things that people aren't necessarily aware of.
0: I'll attach a copy of both her personal letter and the group's letter in the show notes for anyone interested. Elizabeth told me that she was pretty frustrated by the whole public commenting process. She thinks that the BLM did not go with the public's opinion in the end but instead chose to favor ranching interests and let the voices of some outweigh the voices of many.
2: That's the frustrating part, is, you know, they open it up, open it, it's open to, to public comment, yet, well, what did they do with this public comment, you know? Um,
0: yeah, and that I, seems to be I one of the main frustrations. You
2: there, there, there's a, if, if you put the yays on one side and the nays on the other, you know, there'd be a stack, like, four times as high, so... I don't, you know, I don't feel like it's truly uh, that transparent, you know?
0: The final RMP was released in 2019. In the end, the BLM chose to go with Alternative A, no changes in the management of the Sprinka. They didn't quite get their way. Grazing was not going to be increased by 300%, but it would continue on the four allotments where cows were already permitted in the preserve. This didn't go over well with a lot of people. Including environmental groups who were ready to take the BLM to court to challenge their management of the Sprinka. In 2020, two lawsuits were filed against the BLM by the Center for Biological Diversity, Western Watersheds Project, and the Sierra Club's Grand Canyon chapter. The lawsuits challenged the BLM's management of the Sprinka based on two different laws: the Sprinka's enabling legislation and the Endangered Species Act. The first lawsuit was brought by all three organizations. It claimed that the BLM was violating the Sprinkles enabling legislation by releasing an RMP that continued to allow grazing in the area. The argument there was pretty simple. Cows and riparian conservation aren't compatible. So by continuing to allow grazing, the BLM is violating its mandate to conserve, protect, and enhance the area. The second lawsuit was brought by the Center for Biological Diversity and challenged the BLM for violating the Endangered Species Act. Almost the entire area within the Sprinka is considered to be a protected habitat for an endangered or threatened species. The Center for Biological Diversity was, and still is, particularly concerned about the impacts cows have on the Huachuca water umble. Robin Silver, one of the co-founders for the center, told me that cows are eating or trampling what's left of the plant's population along the river. The lawsuit claims that by allowing cows in the NCA and not doing anything to remove trespass cattle from the river itself, The BLM is violating the Endangered Species Act. As far as environmental laws go, the Endangered Species Act has more teeth than most. Silver thinks that it could be the ticket to getting cows out of the river and out of the protected area in general. In the end, both lawsuits ended in settlements with the BLM. Both settlements have produced more legal actions recently and will likely end in another lawsuit, at least from the Center for Biological Diversity. I'm going to talk about each settlement separately and what's happening as a result of each. But, just keep in mind, there are two different lawsuits and two different settlements. The first lawsuit, the one about the BLM violating the Sprinkles enabling legislation, settled under these terms. The BLM was going to do an environmental assessment of the cow's impacts on the San Pedro ecosystem and a biological opinion within eight months of the settlement. If the environmental assessments show that cows are a detriment to the ecosystem, then they'll be removed. Here's Cindy Toole, the Southwest Program Director for Western Watersheds Project, explaining the settlement terms. documents from Robin in my inbox that I've only gotten a chance to go through like half of by this point.
3: Um, yeah. Now you'll get more, too, you'll be yeah. getting emails. Yeah, oh yeah,
0: yeah, I'm um, getting used to it. He's definitely like my number one emailer, always. Yes. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, so with the settlement, they reached the settlement. Um, I, I'm still trying to get this timeline together in my head of like what legal proceeding happened when. But with the settlement, have they made any of those determinations yet? Or is that the settlement that they have until sometime in this spring to come? So the BLM was supposed to do an assessment of livestock grazing in the Sprinka. And if they determined it was having a negative impact, no more grazing. The assumption was that grazing and riparian ecosystems in the desert aren't compatible. So the environmental assessment would come back negative and there would be no more grazing in the Sprinka. But that didn't happen. The BLM has already reauthorized grazing on the four allotments in the Sprinca during the settlement period. On December 21st of 2022, they issued their proposed lease renewals for all four allotments. Some might say this was an early Christmas present for the ranchers. They're still just proposed lease renewals, but if the BLM is true to its past patterns, they'll likely be finalized. Western Watershed's project has now filed a protest against the BLM's decision to reauthorize these permits. Here's Cindy Toole again to explain the process.
3: Yes, I filed, it's called a protest. We have 15 days to get that together and file it, and uh, waiting for them to make a decision in response to that, and then the next step would be an appeal. Like an administrative appeal, and then if that's denied, the next step would be litigation. Okay. So it's, it's still a ways down the road, but um, hopefully they'll read our protest and realize, yes, indeed, we've made the wrong decision, and we should withdraw it. Um, we have not heard anything bad, and there's not a whole lot we can do if they're a few days late. If it stretches beyond that, we'll ask them, like, hey, what's going on? So yeah, we should we should be hearing anytime it is kind of a, it's a little odd if they haven't met their own deadline but it's not uh, not surprising they bend and break regulations pretty regularly so
0: i checked in with cindy a few days before recording this podcast and she still hadn't heard back from the blm about their protest but the settlement deadline is approaching fast so that may change soon throughout the protest process cindy has continued to ask why they're continuing to allow cows in the Sprinka when things could be so much simpler if they just took them out. She's also been questioning the BLM's use of spike treatments, a popular chemical herbicide, on the allotments to try and reduce the impact of cows. She wonders why the BLM is going through the effort of implementing expensive vegetative treatments rather than just having the cows removed. It's
3: almost like they feel like they have to authorize cows, but they don't, this is an area where actually they're legally obligated to probably not authorize cows. Um, and they know that if they continue to allow cows, they're going to have to address the negative impacts to the vegetation. So it doesn't make any sense, which makes it, it, it seems so obvious to almost everyone that this is where cows don't belong. This is where cows legally don't belong. The impacts to the threatened endangered species there are significant, ongoing, and well-documented. So we cannot figure out what they're thinking.
0: Robin Silver is also pretty frustrated with the renewal of the allotments and the outcome of the settlement, or at least what it looks like the outcome is going to be. The BLM's decision to renew these four allotments within the eight-month settlement period shows that they probably don't have any intention of removing cows from the Sprinka. When I spoke to Robin, he was a bit more combative on the issue and made it clear that he plans on suing the BLM again the day after they deliver their final report at the end of the eight month settlement period.
4: And so we expected that they would behave differently. And the answer is that there's, we can detect no change in their behavior. The mistake that I and we made was, is we agreed that they wouldn't have to respond to us in writing in with the results of their actions until April 10th. So they had six months in order to, you know, to 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 make good on their promises. Okay. And, and then I can guarantee you that on April 10th, when BLM tries to lie about, you know, whether they've done anything in response to this settlement, on April 11th, they'll see another lawsuit.
0: And just a note, the BLM asked for an extension on their settlement. So April 11th probably isn't the day we're going to see another lawsuit, but... One is likely in the future. So what about the second lawsuit? Robin Silver and the Center for Biological Diversity settled this suit as well. The BLM agreed that the center would report trespass cattle in the river, while they reported back about what they were doing to deal with trespass cows in the meantime. They were supposed to make these reports every six months. I checked my email right before recording this, and the number of complaints sent by the center was up to 78. So what exactly are these complaints? There are officially documented sightings of cows, or evidence of cows, in or on the banks of the river. The complaints get sent to the BLM's field office in Tucson, specifically to Colleen Dingman. Silver told me that they don't technically need to have photos, but if you want to have any chance at the BLM believing the complaint, you better have photos. So, the complaints are an email with photos of cows, cow poop, or cow tracks in the river sent with GPS coordinates of where they were taken. While reporting the story, I've gotten pretty used to seeing pictures of cow poop in my inbox every morning. In February, the BLM delivered its six-month report to the Center for Biological Diversity. The report listed a few roundups with proposed dates throughout the month that would be taking place in areas where cows were repeatedly being seen. It specified that the BLM would be working with local ranchers in each of the areas to conduct the roundups. The BLM declined to comment, and Silver claims that the roundups never happened because the cows have continued to be seen regularly in these same spots. He told me the proof is in the pudding. Right before recording this, I was forwarded a complaint with pictures of 59 cows spotted in one of the locations between the Hereford Bridge and the San Pedro House where the BLM claimed to have done a roundup at the end of February.
4: And I do have to say what you've been following this long enough, what you're noticing now, there's basically six areas along the river that where there's repeated complaints and so if you were in charge, besides you would just do a big sweep from, you know, whichever direction, north, south, south, north, get rid of all of them. Yeah. You would go to those six areas with your wranglers, round them up, see whose who's cows they are, either return them or take them to auction, but just deal with it and fix the fences, right? Yeah. But instead now, since I think our agreement went to check in September, I believe that's about right. Let's see, October, November, December, January, February, March. I believe that's about September or October. Instead, you're just seeing repeated complaints in the same areas, likely the same cows.
0: On March 21st, the Center for Biological Diversity gave the BLM a notice of their intent to sue over the BLM's inability to keep cows out of the river and its continued alleged violations of the Endangered Species Act. The center and the BLM are in closed negotiations now, so we'll see what comes of all of this. Silver told me he thinks one potential solution would be for the BLM to allow an outside group to step in and conduct a roundup. He said that the center would be willing to do this if the BLM allowed them to. If you guys were to hypothetically conduct a roundup like that, I mean, what would that look like? What And what would the potential, I mean, if the BLM is scared of doing a roundup because they're scared of violence would you guys be scared of the same thing no
4: no we're not we're not we're not afraid
0: okay so you would just go ahead and do it anyway and then if that did happen that's, i mean
4: that's correct now we, we we would need permission from blm to do that because it's their property but obviously blm is failing I think, again, the proof is on the table.
0: You heard me and Silver talking about rancher violence there, or at least the fear of potential rancher violence. That's another element to this story. Scott Feldhausen did openly say at a meeting a few years ago that one of the reasons he hasn't taken more aggressive measures to prevent trespass cattle in the river is he's had previous experience where his staff been threatened by ranchers in another state, and he doesn't want to repeat that experience here. We'll get into that more in a later episode but that's what silver and i are referring to here a few days after telling me that he thought an outside roundup was a potential solution silver walked this back saying that it wouldn't work instead he thinks they need to focus on the bigger issue why the cows keep getting into the river in the first place and the blm's lack of management at the end of the day both the cases from 2020 ended up settling Now Silver is telling me he intends to sue again in both cases. He thinks it's imperative to get both cases in front of a judge and to take things to trial so that BLM employees can be deposed on their decision-making process. But if that's the case, why settle in the first place? I asked Robin this question. Here's his answer. Why settle these? Why not make them go all the way up to a judge and get a ruling saying the BLM is not doing their job?
4: Well, because what they're, it's, let's, it gets into the weeds right away. So you're ready to like be, take some anti before I tell you? Yeah. <laughs> and so what they say is there's various, uh, uh, like, avenues where they're vulnerable. So they have, there's something called duty to conserve. And that's that's undeniable. They have a duty to conserve. But then it's questionable on what that means so if they say well we are buying fencing and we intend to fix our fences sometime in the next year you know then technically they're doing something so it's hard to pin them down if it involves you know like they did a consultation on the four allotments that are right within the Sprinka. And there, of those particular four allotments, their conclusion is the action itself, which is the grazing on those allotments, is not going to negatively affect the river and then the dependent endangered species. And so to some degree that may be true because we can't tell where these cows are coming from. And so then the next place they're vulnerable is the the uh, the NCA is surrounded by other allotments. and the the clearance for those other allotments says, guess what? They'll keep their cows out of the NCA.
0: Right. So but... that's where they're also
4: vulnerable. And you'll see another a notice of Adenta soup coming down really quickly.
0: Cindy Tool offered a different reason for the settlement: efficiency. She pointed out that litigation can take years, and by settling with the BLM, they hoped that the science would be indisputable enough that they would be forced to take cows out of the Sprinka in a shorter time frame than litigation would provide. Litigation can take a really long time. Like I filed a lawsuit
3: against some, the Forest Service for grazing allotments in the Arizona-New Mexico border area. It's called the State Line Project. It's been fully briefed for almost two years, and the judge is sitting on the decision. So if we really need to get cows out of this area, the fastest way is to get a decision from BLM that says, you're right, cows don't belong here. Geez, this
0: has been super obvious. Another possible reason for the settlements could be the standard of arbitrary and capricious review that we talked a little bit about in a previous episode. Government agencies like the BLM were created to regulate in areas that Congress and the courts aren't equipped to make rules for. And in general, this is probably a good thing. Congress would likely be a disaster if they were tasked with setting specific scientific standards for clean drinking water, or deciding what the safety requirements should be for rope access jobs under OSHA. This is why we need agencies. But because Congress and the courts don't possess the same level of expertise as an agency, the courts simply review agency decisions under the standard of arbitrary and capricious. This means that as long as the agency can show that it was at least making a good faith effort to follow the law and its decision is not completely outrageous to a reasonable person, the court probably won't interfere with their decision. So, for the lawsuits pertaining to the Sprinca's enabling legislation, a court would have to decide that the BLM is either following the wrong law, remember our previous discussion about them using FLIPMA rather than the Sprinca's enabling legislation to manage the area, or a court would have to decide that the BLM's decision to allow grazing to continue in the area was arbitrary and capricious. Cindy Tuol believes that the standard of arbitrary and capricious is being met here. They're planned to just make conditions slightly better but
3: not actually comply with like desired vegetation conditions or wildlife conditions they're not they're not meeting what the conditions should be in the absence of cows I think that is an undisputable point that a judge can say, you you can't do this. Right. Um, Another thing is they've made an arbitrary and capricious decision. They didn't use their own data to base their decisions on. They're just trying to make us happy and make us go away by saying, look, we reduced the cows by half. Everything's fine. Don't look at the fact that we're actually increasing it in some areas and, you know, it's not related to the conditions on the ground, just go away happy.
0: There's also the possibility of a court finding that the BLM did not properly evaluate the effects of grazing in the Sprinca before making their decision under NEPA, or the National Environmental Policy Act. A lot of environmental victories in court against land management agencies are won this way. There's a lot of requirements for agencies based in NEPA, but for our purposes, we're going to keep things very simple. NEPA requires government agencies to take a good, hard look at the science before making decisions on how to proceed. They don't have to necessarily follow the science, but they do have to at least look at it. So there's a possibility that the BLM could lose in court if they can't prove that they took a good hard look at the effects of grazing in the riparian area. I hope this episode helped break down all of the various legal actions being taken over cows in the Sprinka. There's a lot going on, and likely two more lawsuits on the way. Who knows, there may even be another legal episode at the end of this series if the BLM gets sued again before I'm done recording. That's starting to seem like a real possibility. But in order to understand the conflict over cows in the San Pedro, there's a lot more that needs to be discussed than just some lawsuits. The first big question that needs answering is, where are all these cows coming from? Next episode, I'll dive into this question and try to figure out where the cows are coming from and why they seem to keep showing up on the river. So join me next time on Open Range on the River.